Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you, while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place, you will protect me from trouble, and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous sing, all you who are upright in heart. Well, it's great to be with you today at Grace Church. Um, you are good friends of ours, uh, and, and it's just a real privilege to be able to come and preach God's word to you and open up Psalm 32. Uh, we just love to hide from blame, don't we? And we do it from the earliest age. I remember when I was just, um, just four or five, I did a wicked, wicked thing. Uh, we were staying in a farmhouse uh, on, on a family uh, holiday in Dorset. Um, it was just me, my mum and dad and my older sister. And the farmhouse, it, it was also home to a, a large and very fierce dog, which my sister was just petrified of. One day, for, for no particular reason, I think I must have been bored or something, I decided that it would be a lot of fun to feed my sister's beloved teddy bear, Oddbot, to the dog. And you can guess what happened next. Fur went flying everywhere. And within seconds, the sound of my sister wailing could be heard for miles around. I knew I was in trouble. I knew my parents would be angry with me, but I didn't want to face up to them and, and accept the blame. So, so I just did a runner across the fields. It, it's really easy to do that, isn't it? It is easy to, to try to escape responsibility by simply hiding from those who are angry with us. But whatever you do, don't do that with God. That, that's the lesson we're going to be looking at today as we look at Psalm 32. The, the psalm we read was written by King David. The, the heading tells us that. And King David, he wrote it to teach us what we should do when we're conscious that we've sinned against God. He uses himself as an object lesson. At first, he presents himself as an example of what we should not do when we're conscious that we've sinned. That's verses three to five. Then he presents himself as an example of what we should do. That's verses six to 11. And then finally, we're going to have a look at verses one and two and see how it is ultimately Jesus who, who enables us to joyfully approach God to receive forgiveness. So firstly, David's example of what we should not do. 
David warns us. He says, don't be a miserable sinner who hides from God. But that's our first point from verses three to four, David's experience. And then from verses eight to nine, David's teaching. If you're a Christian today tuning in on a live stream, can I tell you something? You cannot be a happy sinner. It is impossible. That's a lesson that David learned the hard way. Look at verse three with me. It says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Now, now we don't know what specific sin David had committed. He doesn't tell us here. But we do know that he tried to cover it up. He kept silent. He tried to hide his sin. But, But what a silly thing to do. to to try to hide your sin from the all-seeing, omniscient God. So why was it that he did it? Well, I think there are two main things that stop us from confessing our sin. Pride and fear. And I think it was probably pride that held David back in Psalm 32. David writes, verse 3, I kept silent. It, It was deliberate. It was an intentional decision. He'd sinned, but he didn't want to own up. He tried to tell himself that it wasn't really sin. He wanted to avoid the humbling business of confessing his sin and asking God for mercy. It's really tempting to do that, isn't it? We reason that what we're doing, well, it's not really sin. We talk about people behind their back and we we tell ourselves it's not gossip. No, no, I'm I'm just trying to keep other people informed so that they can pray for that person. We watch unhelpful television shows with with violence and and sexual content. And we tell ourselves, well, it's not because I'm giving in to lust. No, No, I'm just trying to keep up with what my friends and colleagues are watching. It's for evangelism. Or we... We persistently neglect prayer and and Bible reading and we tell ourselves, well, it's not because I'm putting other things before God. It's just a stage of life I'm at at the moment. I'm really, really busy at work. The, The kids are taking up all of my time. Friends, beware of self deception. Beware of foolish pride. The world, it hates to label sin sin. It has invented a whole raft of of medical sounding terms to deny the very existence of sin in our lives. Alcoholism, sexual addiction, the middle class lifestyle. Don't buy into it. Call sin, sin and run to God to confess it. Please, please, whatever you do, Don't do what David did, because it just leads to misery. David's pride stopped him from confessing his sin. And look at what happened to him. God had to humble him. Verse four, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped 
as in the heat of summer. Now, now we can't be sure exactly what happened, but it seems that God brought some form of, of spiritual or physical suffering upon David. And this was with the express purpose of humbling David and bringing him to repentance. In the late 19th century, there lived a man called Francis Thompson. He actually trained in medicine right here in Manchester at what later became the University of Manchester. But after graduating, he fell into opium addiction and he ended up living on the streets under a bridge in London. Now, in his later years, he became a Christian and he penned a poem about God. And he titled it The Hound of Heaven. The Lord is the hound of of heaven. He pursues us and he will bring us to repentance using whatever means are necessary. If it's pride that's stopping us from confessing our sins, then God will humble us. Listen, there is no such thing as a happy Christian sinner. David learned that lesson the hard way. He urges us to learn it the easy way. Look at verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Don't be like me, David says. Don't try to cover up your sin. Don't be like a stubborn mule who needs to be heaved and dragged back by God, back into the right direction. Humble yourself now. Learn the lesson of Psalm 32. Learn the way of confession. I said that I think there are two main things that hold us back from confessing our sin. Firstly, pride, which we've already looked at. But also fear. We, we want to own up to our sin, but, but we're scared. We're scared that there will be no forgiveness this time. We're scared that we've sinned one too big or or, or once too many. Look, all of us have things that we're ashamed of. Things that we've said or or done or thought that that we just blush at if, if suddenly they were shown on the live stream this morning. But we think it's fine so long as those things are kept secret, so, so long as no one finds out. But can I tell you something? It's too late. God already knows. Nothing is hidden from him. Uh, Covering up is pointless. And it just leads to misery. Don't be a miserable sinner. Don't hide from God. That's our first point this morning. Rather, joyfully run to God. That's, that's our second point today, uh, from verses 5 to 7 and verses 10 to 11. Follow David's example. Look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Verse 5 Verse 5 is what faith looks like in practice. Faith acknowledges sin to God. It doesn't try to cover up. It recognises that cover up is both stupid and also impossible. And it freely 
confesses sin. And notice how forgiveness follows straight on after confessing. Second half of verse 5. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. David, he, he doesn't have to do anything to be forgiven. He doesn't have to make up for the past. He doesn't have to commit himself to try harder in the future. He doesn't have to kind of screw himself up to, to reach some appropriate level of sorrow in order to be forgiven. No, all he has to do is confess. To call his sin, sin. To admit that he deserves judgment and that there is nothing he can do to turn that judgment aside. Augustus Toplady wrote a wonderful hymn called Rock of Ages. His third verse goes like this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, saviour, or I die. That's what we've got to say as we confess our sins. We've got to run into the merciful arms of a loving God. And David, having done that himself, is absolutely adamant that we should do the same. Verse 6, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Let everyone who's faithful, everyone who is trusting in God, turn to God and freely confess sin. David assumes that all of us need to pray prayers like this. None of us are sinless. Therefore, we all need to acknowledge our sin and we need to ask God for forgiveness. <clears throat> but, but when we do that, we should do it with great joy. Because we have total assurance that our sins will be forgiven. Uh, just look at the, the second half of verse 6. Surely the, the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. The, the mighty waters here, they're, they're a picture of God's judgment. They're, they're picking up on the great flood in Noah's day. And, and David is saying, he's saying that those who confess their sin and ask for mercy this side of the day of judgment, that they will be safe when judgment comes. They will be delivered and hidden by God because their sins are forgiven. Maybe I can relay a personal story to you. A while back, I started to become angry with a Christian friend. Now, now there were a number of reasons for that. Uh, undoubtedly, some of the anger that I felt was justified at, at the start. I'd been wrong by this person. But, but quickly my anger became mixed with jealousy and, and with pride and, and with bitterness. And it just wouldn't go away. It, it just kind of hovered in the background and it was infecting all of my thoughts and all of my actions. And the thing is, I, I knew it was wrong. I, I knew it, it was harming me and dishonouring God. But the honest truth is I kept quiet. I refused to tell God. I, I tried to hide my sin. I, I kept it quiet because each time I prayed, I, I, I became miserable. I, I realised that I was a fraud. I, I knew that I was hiding from God. I wasn't being real. And I knew it was stupid because God could see through the facade. I was just too proud to admit it. One week passed, then another. I became more and more spiritually depressed. 
eventually the pressure just became too much. The misery of my sin, it became unbearable. So one morning, at the start of my quiet time, I closed my eyes and I said, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my anger. It is so wrong. And Father, forgive me for my stupidity in not owning up to it before you. You know, the sense of relief and joy that filled my heart was just incredible. At last, at last I come clean with God. And in an instant, I felt the blessings of verses 10 and 11, just like David, the knowledge of the Lord's unfailing love surrounding me. The knowledge that I could rejoice, verse 11, and be glad because I was counted righteous before God. I'd been set free from the misery of my sin. I'd moved from the miserable position of verses 3 to 4 to the glorious position of verses 5 and 11, knowing complete forgiveness, knowing joy in the presence of God. I'd learnt once more the lesson of Psalm 32. To joyfully run to God in confession. But I guess that raises the question, well, well, how was that possible? How could I know that my anger and my sin were forgiven? Just look at the words used in Psalm 32. It's incredible. Verse 5. You, God, forgave the guilt of my sin. Verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Verse 1 again. Whose sins are covered. Verse 2, whose sin the Lord does not count against them. How, how on earth can those things be true? David had sinned. Even worse, David had tried to hide it, and yet David can confidently claim that he is blessed, verse 1, happy. His sins are covered. Well, how can that be? How can a, a just God simply forgive sin? Surely justice demands that sin be punished. We know David doesn't have all the answers for us here in Psalm 32. In fact, he'd, he'd have to wait another thousand years before he could see exactly how this could happen. But unlike David, we don't have to wait. We already know. Psalm 32 is quoted by the Apostle Paul in chapter 4 of his letter to the Romans. And what he's wanting to show is that these blessings of Psalm 32, the blessings of transgressions forgiven and sins covered, they're the result of justification. In the language of Romans chapter 4 verse 5, they're the result of God justifying the wicked. Now, now, justification is the language of the law courts. If you've ever been to a trial, you'll know what happens at the end. The, the judge asks the jury, have you come to the verdict? And the foreman of the jury, he'll step forward and say one of two things. Guilty or not guilty. The, the accused, they are either condemned or they are justified. And what Paul is saying here is, is that the ungodly, the wicked, the sinners can be justified, can be declared in the right with God through faith, through trusting in God, verse 5. 
But what exactly does that mean? Well, if you've got your Bibles out, turn back a page from four, chapter 4 of Romans to chapter 3 of Romans. And in the end of verse 22, it says this. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are justified by the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption speaks of us being set free by by the payment of a price. We're justified by the price Jesus paid on the cross. Jesus, he was our substitute. He died in our place, taking upon himself the punishment we deserve for sin. In the words of verse 25 of Romans chapter 3, he was a sacrifice of atonement. Now, now there's been considerable debate about uh, how to translate that word which our Bibles translate, sacrifice of atonement. If you bear with me, I'd I'd like to introduce two theological terms here. They're they're important words, even though we don't really use them much today in everyday speech. Some say that what's going on here with the sacrifice of atonement is expiation. God presented Jesus as an expiation, and to expiate means to to remove guilt, to, to wipe away the dirt of sin. But that's not an adequate translation. You see, our fundamental problem is not so much our sin, but God's reaction to it. So if you wiped away your sin, you still haven't dealt with the fundamental problem, which is God's righteous anger against you for that sin. In the words of Psalm 32 verse 2, you still haven't dealt with God counting your sin against you. Let me try to illustrate this. Imagine that later today you did something really wicked. And on the side of my car, you wrote in shaving foam a a most terrible slogan about me. The the most insulting thing you can imagine. But perhaps you wrote, Ralph is a Man United supporter. That's a terrible, terrible, wicked thing to say. And obviously I'm furious. I'm very angry and insulted. And Monday morning, you realise you've done something a bit wrong. So you get out a bucket of water and you scrub it all out. You've expiated it. And yes, you've dealt with the crime, but you haven't dealt with me. I'm still very angry at that gross insult. So you might decide that, that I need to do something about that anger too. It is not enough simply to expiate the sin. I need to propitiate Ralph's anger. Propitiation focuses on the person who's been wronged. You need to appease their anger. So you might give me a bag of chocolate cookies, or or even better, a Man City scarf. That that might just begin to do the trick. Propitiation. Now that's an imperfect picture, because the offence is fairly minor, isn't it? Trivial. And my anger would be far from righteous, wouldn't it? But it illustrates the point. Jesus' death on the cross was both an expiation and a propitiation. If you're in Romans, flick back to to Psalm 32 with me. Jesus' death both covered our sins, verse 1, expiated, wiped them clean. But it also propitiated God's anger, verse 2. Our sins are no longer counted against us. It is because of Jesus' death that we can run to God knowing freely that we have had our sins forgiven, that they've been wiped away and and God's anger has been removed. 
We couldn't make things right. We couldn't expiate our sin and we couldn't propitiate God's righteous anger. But what we could not do, God has wonderfully done for us in sending Jesus to die in our place. So how do we respond to all this? Do you remember I said that there are two things that keep us from running to God to confess our sin? Pride and fear. We saw that fear is pointless because God already knows our sins. But it's also unnecessary because our sin has been dealt with by the cross. Listen, if you try to say that your sin is too big to be forgiven, then what you're really saying is that Jesus' death wasn't enough for you. Let me say that again. If you claim that your sin is too big, then you're saying that Jesus' death wasn't good enough for you. Never say that. Refusing to confess sin, it is miserable, it is pointless, and it's also dangerous. Just, just look at verse 6 again with me. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. David must have realised that he could have gone on hardening his heart in in verses 3 to 4 even more. The further we go down the road of unrepentance, the harder it is to turn around and turn back. The Bible teaches that the mark of a true believer, the mark of someone trusting in Jesus, is that they continually confess their sins. Do you do that? The, The time to confess your sins is now. God does not owe it to us to wait around. David says, pray to him while he may be found, before it's too late. The story is told of a teenage girl who lived in the middle class suburbs of New York City. She was a bit of a terror away and she got involved in selling drugs at school. The teachers found out and she was promptly excluded. And because of where she came from, she couldn't face telling her parents. So instead of returning home after she was expelled, that night she jumped on the train and headed for downtown New York. One month passed, then two, then three. Her parents were in utter turmoil. They searched everywhere. They put notices in the local papers. They did interviews on the radio, but nothing. Eventually, almost out of desperation, the girl's mother decided to give it one last go. She printed out a hundred copies of a photograph of herself and then went round all the bars and clubs in downtown New York, putting the photograph on the tables in the bars. That night, the, the girl went to the club where she'd been working as an exotic dancer. She couldn't believe her eyes when she looked down at the bar table and she saw a photo of her mum on it. She picked up the photo, flicked it over, and she saw a message. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. And the girl's eyes just whirled up. She flung on her coat, she bolted out the door, and she headed straight home. Maybe you're tuning in today and and you're not yet a Christian. Or or maybe you are a Christian, but you are struggling under the pressure of some unconfessed sin. Verses 3 to 4 of Psalm 32 is you today. And you think, you think there is just no way that God would want you. Well, God has sent you a photo and it's right here in the Bible. And the photo is of his son on a cross. And the message on it says... Wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. 
No, oh, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand what I've done. You, you can't even begin to imagine the sort of things I've thought, the, the things I've looked at, the things I've done. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. And, and no, I can't. I, I've rejected God too many times. There, there is no way he let me near him this time. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, Come home. No, no, I can't. You can. You can. Joyfully approach God. Confess your sins. And accept the right standing that is yours in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord Jesus, we admit that too often we are miserable sinners who struggle under the weight of our sin, who stubbornly refuse to come to you for what you hold out to us. Oh Lord, would you work in us through your spirit and your word today that we might freely confess our sins before you, that we might run to the throne of God knowing, Lord Jesus, that you have granted access, that you have given us free and total forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that we can be blessed today because our transgressions they are forgiven. We can be blessed today because our sins are covered. We can be blessed today because, Lord God, you look on us and you do not count our sins against us. Oh Lord, might we hear that message wherever we are, whatever we've done. Let us come home today to the loving arms of God. Amen.